podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria Tellez interviews Alison Gannon, the author of The Last Breath, true stories of mediumship, the afterlife, and messages from heaven. Alison Gannon is an evidential medium who maintains a private practice in Southern California. Working with clients from around the world, she provides intuitive guidance on personal and business matters. Connecting clients with their departed loved ones is her passion. Allison also enjoys teaching students how to develop their own intuitive abilities. A leading-edge spiritual entrepreneur, Allison is the founder of the Center for Mediumship, a heart-centered facility for psychic and mediumistic development. She teaches classes including mediumship, intuition, and animal communication, and brings acclaimed mediums to teach on various metaphysical topics. Allison is also the founder of a psychic investigation group where her team tunes in to unsolved cases. Allison holds a law degree from Duke University with a background in business and provides growing and established companies with intuitive solutions and counsel. In 2019, Allison launched Franklin Rose Incorporated, a boutique publishing company for authors of the self-help and new age genre. The Last Breath, a compilation book created by Allison, is included among the books published by Franklin Rose Incorporated, franklinrose.com. Allison is the proud mom of son, Andrew. Together, they love exploring different parts of the world and discovering new adventures. Meet Allison on spiritcommunication.com. Here is the interview with Allison Gannon. In your own words, who is Alison Gannon? Wow, what a question. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, spiritual seeker, a seeker of truth, someone who uh, aspires to be kind and compassionate and hold space for others. When you say spiritual seeker, what are you seeking? Uh, I, I think the balance of being human and the, all the human traits that come with that, the emotions and personality that come with being human, and balancing that with seeing things from a larger perspective, um, a macro perspective. And that, I would say, is more of a spiritual perspective. So I have three questions, the opening questions, before we talk about some of the topics in your book, The Last Breath, True stories of mediumship, 
the afterlife and messages from heaven. So three questions about life. The first one is an open question. What is life to you? Not what life is about, but what is life? Uh, I guess life is a journey. Uh, life is reminding yourself to be present on that journey and to enjoy both the ups and downs um, of the journey. Let's see. These are difficult questions. <laughs> and I think with life, uh, it's about being gentle with yourself too. So often we're, we're so harsh with ourselves and to be gentle with ourselves because life is not always easy. And it's okay. We're, we're learning and we're human and to just do the best that we can. So my follow-up question is, what is the opposite to life? You know, for me, the opposite of life is, you know, it feels very demoralizing and unmotivating and sad and not feeling vibrant not participating in a world full of magic. What do you think or feel is the purpose of the human experience? Well, I think that none of us really know uh, exactly. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Maybe until we go back home uh, and can see maybe from a higher perspective or a wider perspective. But, you know, at this point with my thinking, the purpose of life is for us to learn our lessons as souls having a human experience here. And really the purpose of life is finding balance in our responses to the different things that happen in life, whether it's interactions between people or situations that occur. It's finding our way of responding to that, both as a behavior, action, words, because we're responsible for whatever comes from us. We might not be able to control what comes from others, but we certainly have full control of our response. So that's part of it. And can you repeat the question one more time, please? Yes. Yeah. The purpose of the human experience. So the purpose of the human experience and also to learn from our actions and other people's actions and to learn from relationships and to grow from relationships and situations as well, I feel is a purpose. There are many purposes to, you know, this life, but those are some of them. What do you imagine it looks like when we are there? when we are finally balanced in harmony and we somehow deeply have that knowing, that understanding what life is all about? I would imagine that it feels very calm and peaceful and it feels love, you know, where you're able to be in a place where you're emanating love and being in the vibration of love and where things don't trigger you as they may have in the past, where you understand not to take anything personally and that you can stand in this power of love, which uh, is the highest, you know, and greatest vibration to be in. So I'm wondering if there is a, a moment where we are, we become healed. I 
tend to believe that while we're in our bodies, it's a continuous journey of unfolding and also healing. So I would say that we're not, you know, we're never fully healed probably while we're in a body. But then on the other hand, you know, we're souls that, you know, I don't think need healing as well. Mm. So we're (laughs) perfect souls that are not in need of healing. But while in the body, um, with the physical and the emotional as well, there are things that, you know, can be healed and probably uh, need healing throughout the rest of our lifetime. What is the difference between the soul, the spirit, God, source? Are they the same somehow or to you, they are different? I think on one level, you know, probably at the highest level, you know, they're all one. We're all one. And, you know, it's interesting because as I say that, I just bring my attention to the breath. You know, it's just, it's all one and it's all life, uh, life force. But, you know, when you bring it down to our human comprehension and needing to kind of compartmentalize and organize and sort things out, then there definitely are different definitions based on belief system, you know, whether it's your understanding of God or spirit or soul, you know, you are a soul. So your spirit, you know, can be more like the personality of the soul. But then you can also use those words interchangeably too. We talk about soul to soul communication or spirit communication. And, you know, that's that's one and the same. So I definitely think that some of those words can be used interchangeably. But I think that when you take it to the highest level, it's all life force. How did this happen, this separation? And also the soul's journey. When did they finally understand that they're just the one with everything and there's no separation anymore? And then if that is the case, what happens to it? Wow. That's too many questions, right? <laughs> That's very, I mean. <laughs> right. So the soul's, the end of the soul's journey, I think is eternal. The soul's journey from a human perspective, I would say it's probably eternal or it feels like an eternity if it's not eternal. And, you know, the other interesting thing is we here have, you know, time and space. But so often on the other side, they talk about there's no time over there. So it may be a totally different concept than the way that we think about it here in in human terms. And so if there's no time over there, then it's just all one, you know? Mm -hmm. And the way that I like to kind of think about things is if you have a trap, you know, those travel cups, those collapsible travel cups that when you go camping, you know, they were, I don't know if they still have them, but to me, those travel cups, each one represents, you know, maybe a lifetime. But when you collapse it, it's like all of those lifetimes are happening simultaneously. And maybe it's something like that, where there's no time, everything's happening at once. And for the soul, it's just, you know, that question would be maybe difficult or maybe easy to answer, but not the way that we think here in human Mm -hmm. terms. 
So in a way, it's uh, not easy to understand with the uh, intellectual mind. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's a whole different, I can't even say thinking system, but a whole different way of being, a whole different way of being. Let me ask you about what's happening this year, 2020, all the challenges and the change that we have been through and are going through. What do you think is the message behind these challenges and chains? And do you have a vision for a better and new reality? Interesting. Yeah, this 2020 has certainly been a very unique year for all of us, you know? And what's interesting is that we were actually traveling abroad when this all started to come into being. We were in India at the time, and then we were in Singapore when it, COVID was really becoming a big issue. So we were just trying to make our way back to the U.S. But when we arrived, you know, in the Asian countries, in Singapore, you know, they all wear their masks. They're all very, you know, diligent about these types of things. And when we arrived to the U.S., you know, no one has masks on and nobody's screening us. Um, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be a, a big issue here in the U.S. But on a spiritual perspective, and, you know, that was beginning of February, and then obviously it escalated uh, since then. But from a spiritual perspective, I mean, look at, we have all had this opportunity to go within more and, you know, obviously physically within our homes, staying within our homes, but spending more time with family, spending more time with our animals, um, having an opportunity to prioritize what's important to us in life, having a chance to review where we are. There's so many people who have decided to work from home now permanently, brought in rescue dogs or spent more time with their children. And for a lot of people, I've heard, you know, very positive things about what this challenge with an epidemic has kind of provided. So I think from that perspective, it's allowed us to kind of refocus our priorities and refocus with the home being center instead of you know, always outside of ourselves and really being able to go within. Do you believe that or you feel that more chains are coming our way in a good way, in a positive way? I do. I do feel that goodness is on the horizon and I feel like we've gathered strength from everything we've went through, you know, inner strength for everything that we've went through this year. Um, and I think we've also become more appreciative and grateful for the little things in life that we maybe beforehand took for advantage. And I think that's the challenge too, is staying in gratitude, being in that vibration, because like does attract like, and being in that vibrate, you know, whenever fear kind of crops up, think of one or two things that you're grateful for, one or two things that give you love, connect to your heart and allow yourself to go back into that feeling of love and gratitude and safety. And it, it's also giving us a chance to be kind to others, you know, and seeing um, there are a lot of people that are out of work. They're, you know, there are a lot of people who are hurting both emotionally, financially, physically, and there are a lot of people who are working overtime 
to help those who are either ill from COVID or just, you know, in general working overtime to help others. And so this is an opportunity to extend that compassion both to ourselves, but also to others. What is the meaning of freedom to you, Alison? What does it mean to be free? There's freedom of mind, right? Where freedom of thinking, where we're not bound by our thoughts and that we are open to new ideas, new concepts, things that are beyond our human brain thinking. And then there's the physical freedom where we're not confined to a specific place or area. And so I think freedom overall means the ability for choice, the gift of having choice, and, you know, being able to really live your heart's desire wherever and whenever you want. And my last warm-up question is love. What is love to you? You know, that's a really interesting question because... So I feel that love is two ways, not just one way. And it's interesting because I've, you know, recently witnessed when someone feels like they love something, but yet it's only a one-way street. It's only when they want to love, but it's not when the other person or maybe an animal, you know, needs the love and you're not available for that emotionally. So I guess I'm not saying it very well, but I think true love is when you have the capacity to love, but also nurture when that person or animal needs the nurturing, um, if that makes sense. I mean, it has to go both ways. And so I feel like love is all-encompassing. Love doesn't extend just, you know, to your heart when you want to love, but to be in that loving vibration uh, so that when people, animals, situations need your love, you're available to energetically, you know, be in that loving place. That is a wonderful way of being, isn't it? If we can choose love every second. Absolutely. And it's not easy. It's not easy. And it's something to, you know, constant, not a constant, but, you know, it's a gentle reminder to self. And, you know, what's nice, though, is that when people come up to you and I had somebody recently come up to me and say, you know, like about a year ago, you really saw that I was, you know, sad and you asked how I was and you really put your attention on me. And that really meant a lot. And that got me through. And to hear someone share an incident like that, you know, something that I don't even remember because it was a year ago, is a great reminder of how important it is to be in that loving space for both yourself and for others. That also means that when we are choosing love and we are in that space most of the time, then we are affecting our environment and others even without knowing that we are because it's so powerful, right, Alison? Absolutely. And there's so many people in pain right now and emotional pain and physical pain that if we can be that beacon of light through love, 
we can really help not only ourselves, but others get through those moments of darkness. Moving the conversation to your work, The Last Breath, talk to me about the intention and the process of creating the book. So The Last Breath is a compilation book with 50 mediums who are authors. And so the idea came actually from a friend who's a medium. And uh, I I have a publishing company called Franklin Rose uh, Publishing. And so she brought the idea um, of, you know, a compilation book with mediums, which is a wonderful uh, idea. And so uh, we put out the word to our medium community and it was, the response was overwhelming. We had two or three, four times the amount of authors than we were seeking. So originally we were going to have 44 authors. We ended up extending it to uh, 48, uh, but we had, you know, even more people on the waiting list. So there's really a need for people to want to share their stories And the stories range from uh, near-death experiences that some of the mediums have experienced to the loss of a loved one, to having, you know, an experience where they should have died, but they survived, to meeting your spirit guides. And so we got all of these uh, ideas that came in to you know, when, when we were beginning uh, the compilation book. And so I thought, you know, this is great. Let's put together a, um, a wide collection of different stories and, and experiences so that it would have broad readership and people could identify people who buy the book and read the book. You know, they're going to be different stories that they can identify with and everyone can identify with something in the book. How did you discover your psychic medium abilities? Um, So as a young child, I always felt energy. I did not see spirit, but I felt people in an empty room, in a room where only I was. (laughs) Uh, I could feel the presence of others and that scared me. And so as a child, I was scared growing up and I would run from one end of the house to the other, looking for human beings to be with. And, you know, my mom and dad, they just thought I was, I don't know. They didn't know what, I remember my mom saying, what are you so scared of? You know, at that time we thought, well, maybe there's scary movies or, you know, I had no idea why I was so scared. And it's only looking back and realizing that a lot of times those who are scared as children are actually feeling the presence of uh, the spirit world and maybe mediums themselves. And so that was me. I never slept in my own room, even though I had my own room. I'd always crawl in with my grandma who lived (laughs) with us every night. (laughs) And even, you know, and then my grandmother passed away when I was 16. And then I went into my parents' room because there was no way I would sleep by myself. That's how scared I was. And it wasn't until college where I went off to college and I had to sleep by myself with the TV on, blaring on the couch, not even in the bedroom. (laughs) Yeah, so it's all changed now. I'm no longer scared. But that was the beginning um, as a child, feeling the presence of spirit 
but not understanding what that experience was. I know you um, changed careers too, from being a lawyer to a spiritual medium. How did that happen? That's true. So I went to law school, I went to business school and I got a degree in business. Then I went to law school and got my JD, but that just seems like another lifetime ago. I actually never practiced law. I just got my degree and then I adopted my son from a Russian orphanage, actually my first Mm -hmm. year in law school, because I thought, well, there's Mm -hmm. not enough to do here with first year law school. (laughs) But um, actually, I had been going back and forth to Russia and I had seen this little boy and fell in love with him. And he was, you know, nearing two years old. And so I got all my paperwork ready and I adopted him and then uh, finished law school and uh, took a couple years to you know, be a mom and uh, spend time with my son. And then my mom passed away in 2005 rather suddenly and unexpectedly. And that's what propelled my curiosity of where'd you go, mom? You know, what happened to you? And so my father, who's a medical doctor, and I talk about this in my chapter in the book, The Last Breath, my father, who's a medical doctor, you know, his belief system is very scientific. If you can't touch it, test it, then it doesn't exist, you know? And my mom, you know, although she was a nurse in life, she always believed in a higher power and she always hoped that her parents were still around somewhere. So I would grow up with her saying, oh, look at the blue jay. That's my dad. Look at, you know, the cardinal. There's my mom. And so, and she would actually take me to psychics. And when I was in high school, she took me to a medium once and we had no idea what a medium was, but she took me to a medium, which my dad just thought we were wasting our money and, you know, we were going to quacks. But she took me to a medium and the medium said, you know, Allison, you're a medium. And this was in high school. And I'm thinking, no, I'm not. I don't know. What what is this? And so it really was the passing of my mom. And and actually, two weeks before my mom passed, again, this is 2005, two weeks before she passed, my grandmother, her mother, the grandmother that I, you know, crawled into bed with every night because I was scared. My grandmother, who had been in the spirit world for 20 some years, came to me in broad daylight two weeks before my mom passed. And she telepathically conveyed, I'm coming for your mother. And I telepathically responded, not yet. <laughs> Not yet, please, because I need her here. And when you get her grandma, you're going to have her for a long time. So please, please leave her here with me. But that, you know, my grandmother coming was her way of compassionately preparing me for my mom's passing. And, you know, when those types of things happen, Obviously, you take note of it, but you don't want to believe it. And so I kind of just pushed it out of my mind. But then two weeks later, I found my mom passed out on the bathroom floor. You know, the ambulance took her to the hospital and that's where she transitioned. 
So it was her time. It was her soul's choice to leave. And it was my grandmother's way of compassionately saying, Allison, there's nothing that you could do to change that path, to change your mom's destiny. So don't feel guilty that you weren't in, you know, you weren't upstairs in the, in the bathroom when your mom fell, you know, that you were downstairs on the phone. Don't feel guilty that you didn't maybe try a different doctor or different prescriptions or, you know, because so often when our loved one passes, we begin to feel guilty um, thinking that somehow we could have prevented their passing. And so grandma was coming to say, no, there's nothing that you could have done to prevent the passing. It was their time and it was their choice to cross over. Makes me think about the timing thing you just said. So we all have a predestined time here in a human body. Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah. And again, I don't know. I don't pretend to know all the answers. And I think until we ourselves go back to the other side, will we remember some of the ways that things work? But um, my belief system is that we have different exit points in life that we can choose to exit. So there may not be one particular time of this is when you leave, but there may be a couple of times along the way where we can choose that that will be our exit point. And, you know, for my mom, she was exhausted. Um, She had a lot of life, a lot of life still in her in terms of personality, but her body was couldn't keep up. She had congestive heart failure. Her lungs, you know, had problems. And, and actually it was all from radiation that she had received 30 years before that had caught up with her. And so her physical body just couldn't keep up with her will or wants or desire to live. But yes, going back to your question, I do think that there are predetermined exit points that prior to incarnating, we've already decided on. Talk to me for a moment about the difference between being a psychic and being a medium, because I hear those words separately too. Great question. So a psychic is somebody who tunes into the energy of a person, place, or thing, a living person, place, or thing. So for like with a psychic, I can read the energy, your energy, or maybe your you know husband's energy or anybody you you would give me a name of their energy who's living you could also tune into an object psychically so if you had a ring you tune into the energy that's left on that ring or a place you know so when you go into a school versus a church versus a jail they're all going to have very different feelings and when you go into there, you can actually psychically tune into events that have happened, you know, and the energy of that place. Whereas a medium is someone who's speaking to a discarnate being, somebody who's speaking to a departed person. And so there's three parties involved in mediumship. There's Well, you know, not necessarily, but usually, you know, if somebody comes for a reading, then there's three parties. There's the person receiving the reading, there's the medium, and then there's the spirit person. And so that's the difference between mediumship and 
and tuning in psychically. Do you think we can all develop psychic and abilities and become mediums too? Or this is a a very unique skill? Uh, I believe that everybody has the ability to connect in with their intuition and also to connect in with the spirit world. And I know that not everybody has that belief system. Some people believe that mediumship is a gift and you're either born with it or you're not born with it. But my belief system is that we're all souls that have come into this incarnation um, as humans. And why can't we all have that ability to connect back home? Uh, It doesn't make sense to me that we couldn't. Now, the thing is, there are some people who are more gifted, you know, have maybe a clearer connection, just like somebody who is a gifted pianist versus somebody who can just kind of play the piano keys. But I think we can all connect into the spirit world. And then the other thing that I feel prevents us from connecting is your belief system. So if you have a lot of fear of connecting to the spirit world based on maybe religious beliefs that it's bad or evil, maybe based on watching too many horror movies. (laughs) Um, That's funny. (laughs) And and that's scary connecting, you know, to, to the other side. So those are roadblocks that can prevent you from feeling, hearing the spirit world because of your own fear that you've developed. But I think we all have the same equal distance to God or the universe or whatever you would like to call, you know, call it into the spirit world. We all are the same equidistant from speaking with spirit. It's just some of us have more roadblocks along the way. I think this is one of the questions that I had throughout my life, and I still have sometimes, which I'm trying to clear that too. How do we learn to trust our intuition, that inner wisdom? Practice, you know, to practice and to get that validation and confirmation. Yes, you know, my first impression of this person was correct. And so often we get that confirmation when we didn't trust. So true. (laughs) Right? So (laughs) we get to take a little more challenging life path along the way or journey along the way. But yeah, I would say it really is a matter of practice and getting that confirmation, whether it's through making, you know, trusting or not trusting. But then, and another suggestion is maybe keeping a journal, uh, different intuitive insights you received and did you trust it? Did you go with it or did you decide to do something else? And how'd that turn out for you? I'm wondering what it feels like when we are listening to intuition. Would you say it's always something positive and loving? With intuition, yes. And I and I feel that it can come from within. So with intuition, it can be a feeling. Right, right. But I also feel like our guides and our loved ones are working with us to give us insight as well. So sometimes it can be a synchronicity that we see on the outside. You know, for example, if you're maybe planning a trip to Alaska and you're thinking, should I go? Should I not go? And then you turn on the TV and maybe there's a big story about 
an oil spill in Alaska and how, you know, horrible it is and this and that, you know, sometimes that's a synchronicity saying, hey, maybe it's not the time to go to Alaska or maybe it is the time to go to Alaska and you're driving and in front of you is a car with Alaska license plate and you're like seeing Alaska all over the place. And you're like, wow, um, I wanted to go to Alaska and now I'm seeing Alaska everywhere. And those are my guides, like, you know, sending these breadcrumbs my way saying, yes, we're with you. This is positive. Go to Alaska. Uh, so it could be either way. Um, and so then that works, you know, those synchronicities will work with your intuition as well. And would you say the meditation helps? Meditation helps to quiet your mind, to neutralize your thoughts, to the monkey mind. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and to allow you to become real still so that you can feel and you can kind of, you can be centered and make those decisions based on your heart and your gut and that intuition rather than all the outside noise. You have experienced uh, grief. So my question is, what has been, um, what was the most profound lessons you have learned through the process of griefing? Uh, To be gentle with yourself, that there's no time where You're supposed to be done with your grief. Grief could take months. Grief could take years. Grief could take a lifetime. And we each grieve grieve individually. And there's no set way on how to grieve. So be gentle with yourself, you know, with the grief process. I think the second thing is to get help. You know, if your grief is lasting, if your grief is impeding your ability to function in life, then getting help through either a therapist or a grief group, friends, finding a hobby that might take your mind off your grief and back into life. Because our loved ones in the spirit world, they want us to continue living our life to the fullest. They're not grieving. They're happy where they are And they're able to watch over us and they're able to participate in our lives as well. And so, you know, for example, I have a family member who lost his wife. And one of the things was they never went to Paris together. And so now that she was gone and on the other side, you know, he had said to me, I'll never travel to Paris because that's the one place my wife wanted to go. And our loved ones want us to take life. You know, they they want us to enjoy life. And so I'm thinking, go to Paris because your wife and spirit is going to be right there with you enjoying it along the way. So no, please, if you have lost a loved one, they're going to be at every single milestone with you at every celebration with you. And so they, you know, continue to live through us and they continue to live their life as what, well, you know, their soul life as well. And they want us to be happy. Once we lose the body and we move on and now we don't have the body, I'm wondering if some of us choose to come back to return to a human body right after or some of us choose to stay in a spiritual world longer, if there is such a thing as time? Sure. I think 
all possibilities, all options are possible. And, you know, an interesting story is my sister who we adopted and I'm going back to the same grandma, uh, the (laughs) same grandma. So my grandmother passed in July of 1987 and she passed in my mom's arms. My mom, you know, helped her transition to the other side and unbeknownst to us. So then four years later, we went and we went to Ukraine and we adopted my sister who was four years old. And she was in an orphanage in Ukraine. We brought her back. And then we thought, well, let's take a look at her birth certificate. We'd like to know when to celebrate her birthday. And when we took a look at her birth certificate, she was born the exact same day, exact same year that as my grandma was dying, my sister was being born in this little town in Ukraine on that same day. What are the chances? But I also feel my grandmother in the spirit world. So whether that's if you did an analogy where the soul was kind of like a pizza pie and a slice of the pizza came (laughs) down to live in incarnation, you know, did that happen with my sister? And the Mm. uncanny thing is my sister growing up, she'd always talk about my grandma who she never met. And she had a lot of the same likes as my grandma and they were both orphans growing up. So a lot of the same similar, you know, background story, you know, not growing up, but they were both orphans um, until they were both adopted. Or is there an essence of my grandmother, you know, that kind of is there with my sister or, you know, so it's nobody knows the answer, but what an amazing coincidence, (laughs) synchronicity, you know, to have that happen in the family. And um, I do believe that we have free will, we have choice. And so if you, you know, if soul wants to come back and incarnate quickly, or if a soul, you know, wants to wait 400 years and then incarnate, I think everything is possible. Mm, Wow. And I think anytime you put and impossible on it. (laughs) That's our humanness, (laughs) not being able to comprehend or think beyond the confines of our brain. So we're almost at the end. I would love for you to read uh, the poem, uh, Do Not Stand at My Grave and Weep by Mary Elizabeth Fry, I think that's how you pronounce her name. So who was or who is Mary Elizabeth Fry before you read the poem? Um, I just want to share a little bit more about the book, The Last Breath. It's a compilation book by 50 medium authors and everybody has an amazing story that they wanted to share with the public. And the book is available on Amazon and it's both in ebook and print. It's a pretty big book. <laughs> it's a substantial, you know, when when you get your print book, you're like, wow, this is a heavy book. And basically they're a story, you know, each author has their own chapter. And the chapters, you know, the first one is about this um, gentleman's near-death experience. He was having a heart attack. And it's so fascinating to read about what he was experiencing uh, while he was dying. And then how angry he was that he had to come back to earth was, you know, first of all, how scared he was to die and leave his family and his children. And then when he got to 
the place of, you know, love and euphoria and, you know, feeling great. Then he didn't want to leave. And then he had to be put back in his damaged body. And he was, you know, angry that he came back. So what a roller coaster, you know, with his journey and experience. And then there are stories about meeting their spirit guide for the first time. Uh, my story is about the loss of my mother and where was she? You know, was she uh, somewhere in the spirit world or we, do we just, you know, die and go six feet under, lights out, you know, like my father believes. And so, and also I give an exercise on connecting with your loved ones and how to connect with your loved ones and how to have an experience with your loved ones in the spirit world. Um, So there's some really amazing stories. Uh, They're all amazing stories sharing different experiences. Uh, There's a hospice worker who talks about seeing angels in the room before her patients pass. You know, I hope that um, if you have the opportunity to get the book or read the book, you'll definitely find many stories that resonate with you. And then regarding uh, Do Not Stand at My Grave and Weep by Mary Elizabeth Fry, I'm going to read the poem. She is an American poet and she's best known for this poem, which is often read at funerals and She was orphaned at the age of three, and she lived in both Ohio and Maryland, and she began to write stories. And so one of her poems is this amazing poem, and she passed in 2004. So we'll go ahead and read that. Do Not Stand at My Grave and Weep by Mary Elizabeth Fry. Next. Do not stand at my grave and weep. I am not there. I do not sleep. I am in a thousand winds that blow. I am the softly falling snow. I am the gentle showers of rain. I am the fields of ripening grain. I am in the morning hush. I am in the graceful rush of beautiful birds encircling flight. I am the starshine of the night. I am in the flowers that bloom. I am in a quiet room. I am in the birds that sing. I am in each lovely thing. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I do not die. What a beautiful poem. I never heard it before. And if I had one final thing to share with your listeners, it's to know that our loved ones, when their physical body dies, their personality, their mind, their uh, soul continues to survive. When I do readings, they come back with that same personality to show you, hey, it's really me. It's mom here or dad or grandpa or sister or son or daughter. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around the idea that they're still here somewhere. And sometimes it takes having your own experience to help you believe it. And that was the case for me. I actually, you know, 
I had to experience feeling and getting messages from my mom, you know, for me to really believe that, oh, hey, mom, you're still there. You're here, right here with me. And so for your listeners to know that our loved ones do not die, their physical body passes, but it's just a transition kind of like from one room to another, from one realm to another. And it's not above or below. It's right here with us. Just a breath away, our loved ones are right here. And when you're thinking of them, they're thinking of you. And so I just really hope that if nothing else, people will get some validation from that. Oh, yes, you know, I felt like my mom was here. I smelled a whiff of her perfume or I saw a rainbow and thought of dad. And know those are signs that they are sending you to let you know that they're with you and they love you and you will Mm -hmm. meet again. Thank you so much, Alison, for your wisdom, your loving message, your mission, your presence. Thank you. Thank you. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Absolutely. So my website is spiritcommunication.com. And um, you can also find me on Facebook at Spirit Communication One. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Allison Bannon and her work, please visit spiritcommunication.com. You can also email Allison at audiencereadings at gmail.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.